Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. How are you all doing this week? You doing good? Doing well? Yeah, and doing good, I hope. Both of them. We are, um, we're, we're kind of celebrating this week. As of Thursday, Eagle County removed its mask mandates on all the schools starting on the 17th, which is tomorrow. They've already contacted our attorneys and said it looks like that will bring our case with Cornerstone Christian School to a close. So we're grateful for that. You know, just for the sake of being able to say, because you read things in the newspaper and I'm going to tell you what, when you read the newspapers and also the communication that went to them, it just makes you um, actually bolder because some things that are, were expressed were not grounded in accuracy. And so one of the things they said is they need to resolve with us the reporting issue of COVID cases. And just so you know, if you're wondering if your church and your church's school is reporting COVID cases to the county, yes, we are. We, when we suddenly lost our director, we went through this little glitch of not reporting while we caught up. It didn't last long. We have been reporting for months and we continue to want to run a healthy school. Of course we do. So that's what we're doing. But it's so, it's, it's a relief to have that, um, that whole issue resolved. I guarantee you there are other pending issues. It's not over yet. But round one went very well. I want to thank you so much then also on Thursday. You might know that OSHA out of Denver, which is actually represents the federal government, contacted us as well and they were getting involved and they were saying that COVID is a um, workplace issue. And so they knew that we weren't wearing masks and so they were going to start an interview process and then They said if that wasn't satisfactory, that they were going to come and physically walk our property. But if you were following this last week, on Thursday, the Supreme Court decided that OSHA cannot use COVID as a workplace um, hazard because it's happening in homes and schools and businesses and everywhere else. So we haven't heard from OSHA yet whether they've dropped the case. Um, uh, President Biden, after that decision, said... um, encouraged to ignore the Supreme Court decision and that states should do the right thing. So as far as OSHA, Colorado, don't know exactly what that will look like on our behalf. But anyway, it was some good things. And so, you know, we're singing these amazing songs too about not being afraid. And the truth is we are not to be afraid. And the world is being manipulated through a spirit of fear, but God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of the soundness of mind. I want you to know that when we sang even about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I was as sick as I have ever been in my life. Pam said I didn't speak for several days. Um, It was really quite the challenge for me personally. But, you know, having gone through that challenge as well, I know the Lord brought me through with a greater resolve and a greater conviction And um, you know what? You can face down anything when Christ is with you. And so let's be faithful to the Lord, which goes very much in line with our sermon today. 
we're looking at the churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation. I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and, said, and, and encourage me to share with you all about the churches that are, um, that are addressed in the book of Revelation. If you turn in your Bibles, it's Revelation chapter 2. What I want us to be thinking about in, in these churches, a, a reminder to ourselves, is that these seven churches that John the Apostle had received by the revel, revelation of the Lord were very real churches. And they were present at the time that the Apostle John was receiving this revelation. It's the voice of Jesus speaking to the seven churches. So the challenges that these churches were facing, the positives that Jesus addressed, as well as the negatives that he addressed were very, very real positive and negative issues going on in those local churches. What is very fascinating is that each and every church was facing individual challenges. And that reminds us that each and every church has to be conscious of the fact that we are very maybe unique in our expression, unique in what we've been asked to do, are uniquely called to be faithful to what the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And we also need to realize that there are opportunities for us to obey, and there are also opportunities for us to disobey. It just reminds us in all these churches that the Lord calls every church to overcome. Overcome. When you decide that you're going to be a local church, a body of Christ representing him, the target that was placed on Jesus is placed upon that church because that church is the body of Christ. When we look at the church of Smyrna today, we're going to realize that what they were called to face as a church was the exact same calling that Jesus was called to face. So anytime a church will rise up and face its challenges, it is truly walking in the path of Jesus. Jesus said, if we desire to live godly, you're going to be persecuted. It's a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle for the rights of our school to honor the wishes of parents, to make that bond and that, that, um, that very foundational, the, the very foundation of all government is the government of the family. A man should leave his father and his mother, his previous familial government and cling to his wife and build in that family the order and the structure of the government of God. And then even in that order, it says that, you know, Christ is the one who oversees that home. The husband needs to make sure that he aligns himself with Christ. The wife is not to fight her husband. She is to align with her husband. The children are to align to their father and mother. It is a government of God. It has nothing to do with value. It has nothing to do with equality, the issues of male and female. Inside the home, it has to do with structure. And if we walk in that structure, then God is the one who's going to pour out those, the, the release of his blessings in that home. So we find that we're, we're talking about churches that had very real issues. But let's also remind ourselves that these churches, in the order in which they are addressed, seven churches, we can look over the history of the church and there were seven periods of the church from the coming of from Christ's first coming until the second coming. We looked last week at the church of Ephesus and what was what were they battling the entire time? This thing about creating a structure within the church that would cause some people to be more honored than others and then putting inside the church and it, and it came in it started actually 
in the New Testament. It was called Nicolaitanism. And in Nicolaitanism, what they were wanting to do was to establish things like the hierarchy of a pope, an archbishop, a, a bishop, and then there were pastors. And then there were the lay people. The word Nicolaitan, the word Nico means to replace or to overcome. Laity is the laos, which is the people. It was a means by which the, it was an encouragement immediately in the body of Christ to cause some people to override the other people so that it go, runs in the face of what John taught us in his epistle. You have need that no man teach you. Why? Because you have received the anointing. There were, there were actually centuries where people were told, you can't read the scriptures. It's not your place to read the scriptures. It's not your place to know them. Those are to be interpreted for you. So you were spoon-fed interpretations of the scripture, which is a denial that you have all received the Holy Spirit, and he can instruct you as you read the word. This structure ran in the face of the fact that every one of you has been called into the office of prophet, priest, and king. Prophetic, the ability to hear the spoken word of God, the ability actually to declare the word of the Lord, to know what God is speaking, to be a priest means to have direct access to God. You don't need a priest between you and God, and I'm sorry, I'm not saying that to offend you, but the thing is, is that whole system was dismantled at the coming of Christ. He became the great high priest, and everyone who aligns themselves with Christ, the Bible says, there's only one God and one mediator between God and man. You don't need anyone between you and God. You pray to God, you confess to God, he tells you how to, how, how to make things right, how to reconcile, and you move on before the Lord. It's a beautiful system. Nicolaitanism is to overcome and override the people. You know what? Even to this day, when they talk about churches, they talk about the pastors, and then they talk about the laity, the people. That division was never meant to be. Jesus even said to us, let no man call you father. There's one father. What was the issue that Jesus was addressing there? He was saying this, is that don't allow yourself to be a part of a system where you elevate earthly men to a place where only God is meant to have that place. We should honor those whom God honors. God has given leadership to the church, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But from the very beginning, the people who were laying down the Jewish covenant where there was a priest who went before God and once a year that man went before God with the sins of the people. As soon as Jesus came, that structure collapsed because God wasn't dealing just with the Jews. It was a gospel for the whole world. And when Jesus came, we realized that uh, mankind was awakened to the fact Christ came so that each and every one of us can be made right with God. And see, the beautiful thing about that is you've never sinned to a go-between. You've never sinned to a pastor. You've never sinned to a priest. You've never sinned because they are people who have sinned as well. Our issues are with God when we sin we have sinned before God. Actually, the Bible only talks about two ways that you can sin. You can sin against God and you can sin against your own body. 
immoral sins are a sin against yourself. And then there's sins that contradict God. Other than that, well, just let me just say this. Find the forgiveness of the Lord when you sin. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Concerning the sins against yourself, bring them before the Lord, but I'd also just say this. Forgive yourself for those sins as well. Well, we're looking at the church of Smyrna. The church of Ephesus wanted to create a structure once again. It brought in immorality. There was a temptation to be immoral. But looking at the church of Smyrna, we can start reading in verse 8. And let's glean from this. Let's avoid those sins that were part of these churches and let's embrace what the Lord said is right. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, and, and to the angel, if you remember, that's the messenger, the passenger, the voice, speaking into the church of Smyrna, right? The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So Father, I just thank you for the word of the Lord today and I thank you, Lord Jesus, for um, being present to minister to our hearts. I pray for Cornerstone Christian Center that we as a church, Lord, would be a church that would bring a delight to your heart. And I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. How does Jesus address himself to this church? Well, the same way he will us, but we find that sometimes he will emphasize who he is according to the challenges that that church is facing. So how did Jesus identify himself when he spoke to the church and to the pastor? He said, I, I am the first and I'm the last who was dead and has come to life. First and last and the dead who has come to life. Now, he, the reason, why would Jesus reveal himself in such a way, the first and the last? Because this church was under severe persecution. And what we need to remind ourselves when you are finding yourselves in conflict with the powers that be that are around you, that Jesus was here first. Like, so we might feel like we're entering into a new challenge, but it's not a new challenge. What we remind ourselves is, is that this is a title of the deity of Christ. He is the first. In other words, there's no one who was before him. Christ could not have said this First off, because this is a, um, a title that's given to God himself, and for Jesus to use it is for him to express his deity. But when he talks about being the first and the last, he's saying, there was no one before me. Now, only one who is God can say that. There was nothing before God. God always was. Now, first is a term of time, like I'm the first. But we realize that in this title, it's just saying that before me, there was nothing else. Before this church's challenges, there were nothing else. When you and I as a church enter into whatever God has called us to do, we have to realize that someone might rise up and oppose. But Christ was first. Men come and men go. They step on the stage and they step off. And we do as well. 
Someday we'll just be a blip in someone's mind, actually, and it won't be long from now. But the thing is, is that the message and the cause and the call of Jesus is going to last forever. And that's why it's important for Smyrna and for us as a church to do what God called us to do. Because it's not a momentary challenge that we're facing, but we've walked on from the left side of the stage and during that time where we are on this earth, we obey the Lord Jesus Christ, we represent him, we wanna be like him. And then we find out that he's got the last word as well. So no matter what men wanted to do to the church of Myrna, Smyrna, I'm sorry, I said Myrna because I'll explain that, but the, the, the thing that Christ was doing when he talked to the church of Smyrna was letting them know that God is always gonna have the last word. So that even if they found themselves and they died, you know, because of persecution, that feels like someone got the last word. But they didn't. There's nothing that the world can do to you where they have the last word. Man, you think about it, those who cried out to Jesus, crucify him, and got away with it. Well, did they get away with it? Jesus always gets the last word. That's why he could be quiet when they were falsely accusing him. Man, when the newspapers were coming and saying stuff about the school, I felt so many times the Lord just said, just be quiet, I'll get the last word. And it's so good to know that Jesus will get the last word. So that even if someone, even if this whole valley were to turn against you because of a false reputation, the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The day will come when the hidden things of darkness will be brought into the light. You and I don't need to get offended. We don't need to get all wrapped up in what people are saying about us because someday any private strategy will be revealed. Jesus is the first and Jesus is the last. I'm feeling excited as I'm hearing that. And then he also, he says this concerning himself and he was dead and he's now alive. And that's what, see this is, the, this is why the church will be brighter as the day grows darker as the book of Isaiah the prophet had said because we follow the one that though he was dead, he is now alive. In other words, he is the one who is saying this, you and I have been given eternal life. And that life is in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't do anything in this life, in this area of the fear of death. Aren't the scriptures, isn't this very apostle the one who wrote us that said that perfect love has cast out fear, the fear of death. What is mankind's fear of death? Well, mankind's fear of death, first off, is this. What if in this life I don't attain what something inside of me longs for? Significance, meaning. But once a person meets Christ, significance, meaning, following the plan, do you realize that sometimes we think it's a burden to be dealing with this flesh that we want to become more righteous, but do you realize what a privilege it is to be focused on becoming more like Jesus? If the mindset is that it's a burden, that's just wrong. Because it's not a burden, it's a privilege. 
to get up every morning and just know no one can keep me from being more like Christ. No one can. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit and it says against such things as there is no law. Being perfected in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Even nations don't make laws against such things. And see, there's no one who can stop you and I from becoming filled with the Holy Spirit. Persecution can't make it happen. Might test us, but it can't keep us from purpose. Being more like Christ, what does that mean? It means being more like Christ is facing down death, knowing that you're gonna live forever. And that every drop of sweat will be rewarded as we become more like Christ. The thing is really beautiful here that the church Smyrna, and now you'll understand why I said Myrna, because it has the word myrrh in it, one of the incense that was brought to Jesus. The incense of myrrh actually had to be crushed in order for the fragrance to come out. Well, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? When was myrrh used? Why was it significant that the wise men, the magi, when they came, brought myrrh? Because myrrh was used at burial. And the use of the crushing of the myrrh was to anoint the body as it was being wrapped. It was a symbol, a human symbol of overcoming the effects of death so that the smell of the myrrh would override the decay. Of course, it's only temporal, but the thing when all is said and done is there's this beautiful church. It's not rebuked for doing anything wrong, but by its crushing, it was perfected to the point where when they were being tested, it brought a righteousness to them. It doesn't have to be that a church needs to be persecuted or crushed to have a sweet fragrance to be released. But because of human nature, it historically has proven itself that churches don't really come into their fullness until the crushing comes. There's a lot of people in any church that aren't willing to say, let's live for Christ no matter what the cost. And what happens in those churches is it cools them down. And one of the best things that can happen to a church is if a refining crushing comes to that church, what is left behind is those who are just saying, looking, smelling, being like Christ is our top priority. It creates like-mindedness. Jesus had oh, probably at least 10,000 people following him when he fed the 5,000, because it was just the men, it said, were 5,000 men and the women and children. But when these throngs were coming around him, what did Jesus do? He preached a sermon that says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my cup, drink, drink my blood, and almost everybody left him. Why? Because Jesus knew the power of like-mindedness. To the point when he actually died, he ended up with just 120 people in an upper room. But the Bible says they met together in one accord. 
And that doesn't mean a Honda. It meant when they came together, they came together in one accord, like-minded, one heart, one purpose. And out of that unity, the Holy Spirit was able to come and they were able to turn the world upside down. See that? I mean, thousands came to Christ after that. But there had to be a willingness for the crushing, the persecution, to be poured out upon Jesus and upon the apostles, upon his mother and upon his faithful followers. And out of that, it came to this like-minded core that the Holy Spirit could fall on. And then out of that, many came to Christ. It's a beautiful thing. This church whose name had myrrh in it was really blessed, not rebuked in any way. As we're thinking about this, we can't help but remember that why did Jesus reveal himself to the church as the first and the last and the one who was dead and is now alive? Is because many of them were gonna end up dead. There was a man named Polycarp and he was actually a disciple of John who wrote the book of Revelation. He got saved. We don't know exactly the story of everything about Polycarp. Um, Polycarp means much fruit. So maybe it was his Christian name that was given to him, but somewhere along the line, this man named Polycarp was actually able to sit with John, the apostle, who told Polycarp's, Polycarp's stories about Jesus. And in that place, man, his heart was made right John, we find out, then gets persecuted. He's removed from the church at Ephesus, the first church we looked at, and Polycarp is placed, actually, then, when John is out of commission, he is made the pastor of the church of Smyrna. So imagine that. Polycarp is there. What do we find out about Polycarp? Polycarp refused, then, to burn incense to... Caesar. And so what happened to Polycarp, we find out that he was persecuted and he was burned at the stake. We read concerning Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna. He said this on the day of, the, uh, of his death when he was asked to renounce Christ. He said, 80 and six years I've served him and he has done me no wrong. How then I can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Polycarp was burned at the stake. The death didn't come quick enough. They pierced him with a spear. And his final words with this were this, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour so that in the company of the martyrs, I may share the cup of Christ. When you think about this man who was willing to lay down, did, when you think about the fact that you and I, this morning, shared the cup of Christ, Polycarp in his martyrdom is saying, I shared the cup of Christ. To the church of Smyrna, there was aware, an awareness of the fact that when you drank the communion cup, you were just saying, I will obey the Father even if it is drinking the cup of death. Maybe Polycarp was able to live with such conviction because he had been discipled by John the Apostle. 
The Bible says this because Jesus, because Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross, Philippians chapter two. That God then gave him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything is going to bow to the name of Jesus. And so that's why you and I don't fear death because Jesus didn't fear death. He stared at that cross and he faced it with boldness and with courage. And the Bible says that because he was able to face the cross in such a way, Romans chapter 12, that he was able to see the joy beyond the cross, the joy that was set before him. He despised the cross, which means cross, you're gonna take my life, but you, need, you mean nothing to me. Because he knew that he was gonna die, but he's gonna be the one who was dead and is now alive. And he was able to see the glory of heaven and he's able to see you and me, all the saints that were gonna be saved. And in all of that, he faced the cross and he experienced the joy of eternal life while he went through the cross. And when we drink of the cup of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saying, Lord, I want to be like you. And even though people might take my life, every knee will bow, things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth. Every spiritual power in heaven, every spiritual power of hell, and every demon and human upon the earth will someday realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Romans chapter five, verse 10 says this, for if while we were enemies, you and I were once enemies of Christ, but we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Every day we are saved because Jesus lives. So while they were facing persecution, they had the confidence that they would live as well. I want to read another passage for you in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, because I want to remind us that in verse 9 of this passage, it says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The Lord is saying here, he says, I'm aware of everything you're going through. What we went through as a Church is really nothing. When you, I was just reading about what's going on in Mozambique and pastors are, the report came out that um, one of the pastor's children was beheaded four years old in front of him. I mean, that's a level of persecution, of paying the price. You have to see at that point and you have to know that you will see your child again. You, you have to, you have to be convinced of that. Any one of us would say, take me, not my child, except for the knowledge that the one who is dead is alive now. And the Lord says, I see your persecution. I see what you're going through. 
The Lord knows every detail. That very, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me read this for you. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. This is after his resurrection. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has been walking through his, with his church through all of their events, all of their persecutions, all of their struggles. And it will happen until it's all wrapped up. We have to remind ourselves in this passage here that Jesus is telling them that they're being persecuted and particularly by a group that he calls, and let, let me make sure I say this right, they say that they are Jews, but they are not, and they are the synagogue of Satan. Now, I just need to remind you here, this was written by a Jew quoting a Jewish Messiah. But the truth of the matter is, is that there were people from the Jewish community that Jesus is saying to John, they say they're Jews, but they're not. And what does that mean? He's just saying, they're giving that outward expression of being Jews, but they are not by the way they're acting, acting according to even their own covenant, a covenant that commanded them to love their neighbor. But there was a persecution that was coming against them, and from church history, we're come to understand that some of them actually had come, declared that they had come to Christ, but then they wanted to bring in the Jewish law that never saved a person up until that point. And then a persecution began to break out. To the point, and I'm hesitant to say this because I don't want to create any kind of anti-Semitism here because Christians have, any group of people can lose sight. Any religious group of people can lose sight of their original calling and purpose. And in the middle of all of this, we find out that when Polycarp, was actually burned at the stake, which would have been after this. That it said the people and even the Jews brought logs to the fire. And so we find out in all of this that it's more often than not, the Christians' battle was with the Romans. In Smyrna, the battle was with those who had been raised in Judaism, and yet there was a violence that was coming against the church. He says that they're not Jews at all. And as we realize that, we are understanding that this church, not only in, in um, the beginning when John wrote this epistle, but even for the next probably 150 years at best, they continually faced persecution. Now, when you think about that, that's a long time to go through it, isn't it? That would compare to some of the struggles that were even like going on in China to this day, where pastors are constantly being arrested. But we find out, what did the Lord say to them? Do not fear. And that's the kind of believers we need in this day and age. We need to be fearless. Let's remind ourselves that that is not a suggestion. It's actually a command. 
And whenever God gives a command, he gives the grace to those people to be able to fulfill that command. Today is a day for fearless Christianity. The church should be leading the world in fearlessness. It should be rising up, not I'm not talking about rising up in a rebellion, but I'm talking about rising up in a demonstration of fearlessness. And he said to them that they're about to throw some of you into prison so that you'll be tested and you'll have tribulation for 10 days. When we realize what was going on, and if we're just saying this is not just about the church of Smyrna, but it's about the second period within the church, we're also realizing that there were 10 days of Roman persecution empowered, allowed, even that came up against the church from the, up until about 300 AD. So the first period of the church was a temptation to create a class structure within the church. The second period within the church was actually a period of persecution. And the Bible here talks about there being 10 days of persecution. And from Nero to Diocletian, the emperor, there were 10 periods of persecution that came against the church where the fire had fallen. Some people have said, but it also reflects that the last 10 years under, Di under Diocletian were particularly trying to the church. When you think about the kind of persecution that the church faced when the Romans rose up against Christians, here's some of the things that happened. And you can get a flavor of this today too. Those who, were in those who were not aligning themselves with the totalitarian views of the Roman Empire, they were denied the ability to, to, for business opportunities. They were denied social status. They were prohibited to worship. There were attacks by mobs. They were imprisoned. They were tortured and killed. They were known to have been thrown to wild animals. Sometimes on their heads, they were tattooed on their forehead, marking them as a Christian. Tacitus, a Roman historian, accused them, Christians, of having a hatred of the human race. Interesting, right? He wrote this, the Christians were nailed to crosses, sewn up in the skins of wild beasts, exposed to the fury of dogs, smeared with combustible materials and were used as torches to illuminate the night. They would meet in the homes of the wealthy at night. They didn't meet in the daylight in the temples like the rest of the people did. Therefore, they were accused of immorality in the night and also of cannibalism, which was a misunderstanding of what communion was. They were required to worship false gods and to show obeisance to the emperor, but they refused. During this time, Jews as well as Christians were persecuted, sent out of Rome because they would not bow the knee. But the Lord says this, be faithful to the point of death. He didn't tell them be faithful until 
death, but to the point of death. Don't live in such a way that where finally when it goes, they said to them, he, John made this very specific, don't do this until the cost is death and then do whatever you need to save your life. But he tells them, be a follower of Christ to the point of death. Be faithful until death. And the Lord said this, I will give you the crown of life. There's crowns. It says that this, this is gonna happen to some of them. It didn't happen to all of them. But here's the thing that we need to remember. If you will keep your confession of Jesus Christ until you're called to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will on the other side, whether you died as a martyr or, whether you, or in a peaceful season, if you don't change your confession, the Lord says this, when you enter into heaven, you'll receive a crown of life. Now just think of this for just a moment if you can. Maybe a visualization will help us. Just picture yourself someday at the hands of Jesus, receiving the crown of life. Because you did not deny him. Not even till the very end. The one who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The Lord says you'll receive a crown if you believe and you confess until the very end. And let me read for you Luke chapter 12. And you might just say to me, why, why do you call people to come forward on Sunday morning? And it could happen at their baptism, but that is a public demonstration. But when someone comes to Christ, I never know if I'm going to see them again after that Sunday morning. So I feel personally... There are some people that oppose altar calls. But I feel personally making that public confession of Christ before men is very scriptural. And in Luke chapter 12, it says this. Many thousands of people had gathered together to the point where they were stepping on one another when they were following Jesus. And Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, I think that that's very interesting because he, he addresses a religious system of the day under the umbrella of Judaism. We realize that thousands came to Christ after his resurrection, but he said, beware of the leaven. In other words, the, the, the yeast that has infected the Judaism that causes them to reject the Messiah. Jesus said, beware of them. And he says, there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. That's so important because Smyrna saw this. Some of them had confessed Christ as their savior, but then they wanted to bring in the leaven of the Pharisees, legalism that made people feel more condemned than God's heart for them. Accordingly, Jesus said, whatever you said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops, now I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you to whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed someone, has the power to throw that person into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Here's what Jesus said in the book of Revelation. That if you keep your confession to Jesus Christ, even to the point of death, to where you die over it, the Lord says you will not suffer the second death. 
Jesus had already warned about that before and he said this, don't fear men who can kill the body, but fear the one who is able to kill both the body, because our, our bodies are in the hands of God, our breath is in the hands of God, and then it also says, but he's also the one who has the power to throw into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And that's why when we live in a world of people that refuse to see Jesus for who he is, the Lord says, do not fear them. They don't understand that there is coming a day where every human being will give an account for how they aligned with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, only fear one, fear God. When it says that he's the first and the last, why, is he, why does he have the last word? Because when Jesus was faithful to the Father, God gave him the judgment. Jesus will be the person, not the Father, not the Holy Spirit, Jesus will be the person before whom every human being will stand and be judged. And Jesus said, only fear the one who has the power of the final judgment and the last word. And then you just say to me, I don't like that form of Christianity. Jesus immediately said this afterwards, expressing his love for all mankind. Are five sparrows not sold for two asaria or two copper coins? And yet not one of them has gone unnoticed in the sight of God. Even the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not fear. You're more valuable than a great number of sparrows. Now I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will also confess him before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So keep your confession. One of the martyrs, and I can't remember his name. I'll have to find it before second service. One of the martyrs that died was actually the man who, Bloody Mary, the Queen of England, she wanted him dead because he, he was the one that was leading the movement of the Protestant movement that was going on in England, calling people come back to that genuine faith of Christ, getting rid of Nicolaitanism. And he was the one who allowed Henry VIII, whether you like that idea or not, to be a part of absolving his marriage because he was, didn't have an heir to the throne. Mary, Queen of Scots, called him to deny his confession, and he, he signed his denial to try to save his life because she said he was going to die. And listen, her favorite means of killing people was burning them alive. So that is terrifying. He signed the, and signed away his confession, and he thought he'd save his life. But Mary, Queen of Scots, she still hated him. So she assigned him to be burned at the stake. Before he was burned at the stake, he was asked to make a public confession, and he renounced the fact that he had renounced his obedience to Christ. He aligned his confession once again. And then if you read in the book of Fox's Book of Martyrs that when they lit the flames around him, that he deliberately stuck his right hand in the flames so that it would be burnt first 
because with his right hand he had denied the Lord. I mean, I know that that's kind of a gruesome story, but I, I want us to remind ourselves of the fact that we're followers of Jesus Christ who laid down his life. We're followers of others who had led churches and church movements. And you and I must obey the Lord. We must not fear anything. We must only fear the Lord who has the power not just over the first, first death, but actually the second death, which comes after the judgment. So listen, believers, let's live for the Lord today. Can you say amen? Let's really live for him with joy and peace and let's be all in. Can we all stand up this morning? Father, I thank you for the faithfulness of your spirit and of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen every heart that's here today. Thank you, Lord, for the call in this church. I pray that we would not miss being obedient to you, Lord, no matter what the cost is. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask quickly, do you need Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you do need him today, know this, is that he died for your, our sins, my sins and your sins. He died on the cross. He paid the price so that we could be completely forgiven. If you've never met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make today the day of your salvation. If you want to meet Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to do two things. I'm going to close in prayer. And if someone raises their hands, we're going to join together. And I want you to repeat that prayer with me. And then secondly, I'm going to invite you to come forward here and just confess them before people. I'm not saying you're going to have to say anything, but just be a visible follower of Jesus Christ. If you need him today, would you lift up your hand? Just real quickly say, today, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Anyone here today? Father, thank you, Lord. I pray, bless these people today, Lord. Fill them with your spirit. Let them be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for coming today. Lord be with you. Have a great day. There's going to be people here in the front to pray for you. If you need prayer today, please don't leave carrying a burden. Let them pray for you today. God bless you all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.